Let's see, this would be the New and Better podcast, episode 29. Here's the tease. But do most believers access God that way? Do I regularly access God as if it was true that as I'm, as I'm approaching the throne of God, I'm in Him and He's in me? That, the, that there's this, this mystical cosmic miracle of oneness has taken place between Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and I, so that I'm approaching God's throne with him and with him and me and I and him. And as we as we saw, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's a game changer. Congratulations! Through the powerful providence of a benevolent benefactor, you've stumbled onto this delicious digital bouillabaisse. Hosted by yours truly, hipster grandfather, David A. Holland. Here, we explore the too-good-to-be-true, poorly understood, badly neglected realities of what Jesus actually launched 2,000 years ago. A new covenant. A better covenant, based on better promises. So. Check your religion at the door, grab a beverage, grab a Bible, strap in, gird your loins. This is the New and Better Podcast. Okay, welcome, good people of the internet who are listening. Thank you for joining Joining in with us. We're, we're now in the fifth installment of a series that, as you can see, we're calling Unveiled, Paul's Revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know that... We've been exploring essentially a, a series of mysteries that Paul were, were unique, uniquely revealed to Paul. Now, our key verse for this series has been Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. You see it here. Beloved, let me say emphatically that the gospel entrusted to me was not given to me by any man. No one taught me this revelation, for it was given to me directly by an unveiling of Jesus, the anointed, the anointed one. And we've seen how Paul basically goes to great pains to, to let us know that what he's discovered about Jesus through his role, his person, his work, what he accomplished was not, was not something that he was transmitted to him through other people, that it came as a direct supernatural download revelation from the Lord. Uh, Paul frequently in his letters, as we've been seeing, talks about mysteries. And the fact that there are a number of mysteries that had been hidden for ages, but now in Christ had been revealed. And we've been exploring those mysteries uh, one by one. Uh, the first one that we explored a few weeks ago was the fact that Jesus was God in human flesh. Uh, that, uh, he, that God became a man. And another aspect of that, we, we called that mystery 1B, was that he was a perfect representation of God's nature. So that if we have to wonder about, uh, we, don't know, we no longer, now that Jesus has come, we no longer have to wonder what God's like, what his character is like, what his nature is, what his priorities are, how God would behave in any given situation. Jesus uh, was an explanation of him, as Paul said. Paul, Jesus explained him. Jesus presented him. That was the first mystery. The second mystery, and we looked at this last week, was that Jesus was the last Adam. 
there was much more uh, we could have explored there, but we're trying to keep moving through these mysteries. But we saw the significance of the fact that, and, and, and Paul understood this uniquely. If we, didn't, if we didn't have Paul's letters, we would not understand this truth, this reality, really in any, in any respect. And that truth was, as we saw, that Jesus represented a, a, another Adam, that what had entered the world through the first Adam uh, was undone and corrected and rectified by the second Adam. And we even saw that Paul said that just as Adam became the progenitor, or Adam became the, the father of a race of people who had the same brokenness that he had, Jesus became the progenitor of a new race. Jesus became the founder of a new type of human being in the earth that uh, has the same characteristics that he has, has the same unbrokenness, because Jesus has imparted his unbrokenness to us. He's imparted his righteousness. He's imparted uh, his acceptance with God, with the, gr the great exchange at the cross is this exchange of, of our rejection for his acceptedness. Uh, our, uh, his, our shame uh, for his righteousness. And so um, the implications of Jesus being the second Adam are enormous. So that was, uh, that was last week's mystery. Now, now we jump into the mystery of the week. How many of you liked my Sherlock Holmes uh, um, thing for the, the mysteries that we're unveiling? Mystery number three for this week is he, speaking of Jesus, he in us and we in him. He in us and we in him. This is something that we take for granted. We've, if we've been in church for any period of time, we hear it all the time. We, we absolutely don't give it another thought that yes, Jesus is in me and I'm in Jesus. But the implications of that are astounding. When we really think about it, we're going to explore some of that tonight. Uh, the key verse I want us to look at, first of all, well, well, first of all, I want to have you turn there. We are going to look at a lot of scripture tonight, but we, ha we, uh, we have this understanding primarily because of Paul's revelation. But Jesus foretold it. Jesus pointed to it. It wasn't understood well when Jesus pointed it out, uh, and it was somewhat cryptic. Uh, in, in the way Jesus presented it, but it was very much there. Particularly, John reveals this. Uh, in John 14, J Jesus made three statements right toward the, in the final weeks of his life. You know, John 14, 15, 16, 17, right in there. Uh, he's speaking, he, the, this is the, the, the era of his last instructions to his disciples, his parting words. Uh, to the disciples. And in John 14, he's talking about the vine and the branches. And, and, and there he says, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches. That allows you to be in me and I in you. And if you're in me and I'm in you, you will bear much fruit. Uh, and, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So that was essentially Jesus's first revelation or foretelling of this time uh, that is coming when we would be in him and he would be in us. Uh, a chapter later where he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Again, he says, whoever abides in me and I in him will do this and that. And then finally in the high priestly prayer in chapter 17, 
uh, Jesus is talking about in the in that prayer. He's speaking of the the unity that the the, the mystery, the mystical mystery of the oneness that he had with the Father, and in that. Uh, he says, ultimately, in that high priestly prayer, he says, and, and, and I pray that just as I am in you, they would be in me. Just as, just as I am in well, let's take a look at it. Let's, let's look at it ourselves. Look at John chapter 17. So we'll end up at 23, but we may take a running start at it. Mm-hmm. Let me go to the New American Standard for the literal rendering first. John 17, 23. 20, verse 22, Jesus says, The glory, he's praying, uh, which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me. There's some pretty astonishing concepts dropped right, right there, uh, if we stop and think about it for a moment. First of all, he's saying that the glory which God had given him, he was now giving to his followers, to us. So that that, that glory that was upon and in and working through Jesus was, was about to be transmitted to the Jesus followers. That's, that's something to, to ponder uh, in and of itself. Then he says that they may be one, the body, the believers would be one, just as we Father and Son are one, then I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. With these three, with these three statements of Jesus in 14, 15, and 17, he's presenting a, a real puzzling, astonishing, mystical thing that we don't normally think that it's possible for some, if, if, if one thing is in another thing, then that thing can't be in the other thing. That, that's, for two things to be in each other uh, simultaneously is something that sort of defies, defies logic, especially if you think about containers. Most of us, if we grew up in church, one of the first things we, one of the first conceptions of presentations of what it means to be saved we ever hear is you have to invite Jesus into your heart that's usually how we that's how we present this mystical this this mystical thing and there is a verse I mean that there is a scriptural basis for that that we'll look at in just just a moment but I think that that does us a disservice if that's if, if that becomes our primary paradigm of what it means to be born again. I don't know about you, but I, you know, my, my concept of that as a child in church was that inside of me is a, is a compartment called my heart. And somewhere in my heart is another compartment. And then Jesus would be in that compartment. Of course, anything that's inside of me is going to be this tiny little thing. So inside of me somewhere is this tiny little compartment in which there is this place inside of me which Jesus uh, Jesus resides. And ultimately, most of us grow out of that understanding from a literal, at a, at a literal level, but I'm not sure we all grow out of it at another level. I'm not sure we really ever come into an understanding to grasp this mystical unity that takes place. And I think one of the reasons is because if we think about containers, when we, when we think about the, 
the pronoun in, um, not the pronoun, the preposition in, we think containers. We think one thing is containing the other. But if, for example, you had two liquids, if you have basically a, uh, a, a, a red liquid uh, and a blue liquid, and you poured those two liquids together, you could literally say that the red is in the blue, but you could also say that the blue is in the red. You, would ha you could have two different things at the same time that are in, simultaneously in, uh, each other. And perhaps that is a, is a better way for us to think about this mystery, this, this mystical revelation. Um, so let's take a look at some of the scriptures. So we see that Jesus foretold it, but Paul got the complete and full revelation of it. There's no way we could possibly uh, examine every scripture of Paul's that make a reference to this. But let's start with Paul's Jesus in us scriptures of Paul. Uh, let's look at Ephesians uh, 3.17. Yeah, go ahead and read it in the Passion, Caitlin. Then, by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you, and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Does somebody have that in a different translation? New King James. Okay. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts, hearts by faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. So here Paul is clearly making a reference to um, the fact that our hearts can be a dwelling place for, uh, for Christ, for Jesus, which makes, us makes the telling of two little children that you need to have Jesus in your heart a very biblical thing to tell them, Paul, Paul says. But as Caitlin uh, read in the Passion Translation, then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you, and the resting place of his love will come the very source of the root of your life. Uh, flip over to 2 Corinthians 13.5. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Mm -hmm. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Christ Jesus is within you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Yeah, Paul's fussing at the at the Corinthians here. He's pretty exasperated with them. As a matter of fact, this is in a, in the context of him telling them, "Don't make me pull this car over. Don't <laughs> don't make me come over there." Is essentially what he's saying. What he is saying is that I am going to come over there, uh, and uh, it's it's not going to be pretty because you guys are being nodheads, and so. In the context of that, he's saying, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, he's not. So, you know, so be sure, you know, maybe the reason you're acting like a, uh, like a pagan is because he's not. But uh, if he is in your heart, then it's, then it's inappropriate for you to be behaving the way you're behaving. So... Right, exactly. We do not fail the test. So this is an interesting passage of Scripture. Now flip over to Galatians, Galatians chapter 2. Let me put you in remembrance before we read it of what we just saw about the definitive, progressive, and consummative aspects of God's work in our lives. In two verse, Galatians 2 verse 20, you can just look at, look at it up here if you want to. 
It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by, the, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So clearly, uh, again, Paul is saying once more that Christ is in us. He's living in us if we're, if we're born again. Now, one more. Uh, Colossians 1.27. He's talking about preaching the Word of God. That is the mystery. Uh, there's that word again, mysterion, which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, whom God willed to make known what is the riches of uh, the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, clearly, there's a lot more verses we could look at, but clearly there's a case to make that Paul is teaching that in the new birth, in the new covenant, Christ is in us. Well, what about the other side of that equation? What about us in Christ? Let me, uh, I don't have to take you there because you know it by heart, but in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, if any person, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Uh, the Passion Translation of that is interesting. He says, now if anyone is enfolded into Christ, uh, he's unpacking the Greek for us there just, uh, just a little bit. But if anyone is enfolded into Christ, if you ever watched the great British baking show that talks about how to fold, yeah, how to fold egg whites into, into a batter, you know, you, you, you basically you take those egg whites and you fold it in so that they were all thoroughly mixed together. That's what's being suggested here, uh, is that if anyone gets enfolded into, into Christ, uh, also the, the, last, uh, the last chapter, the last verse of that chapter also talks about, says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ, the righteousness of, uh, righteousness of God in him. So let's uh, look at Romans. Well, again, you know this one. You know this one well. You don't have to look it up. Romans eight one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, let's do flip over to the great in Him chapter of the Bible. Anyone want to say which of that? What the the great the great in Him? Uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter one. We're going to read a bit here. Uh, you can read along in your Bible, or you can read on the screen if you want to. I've done some highlighting here to help us. Uh, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings, blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. 
with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To that end, we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also... After listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Hey, uh, loads of good stuff up ahead, and your gateway to that yummy goodness is a just a little sidebar that we call page two. Is it possible that there's more to the Christmas story than we've been taught? What if this familiar story is filled with thrilling and life-changing insights that we've overlooked? Well, it is. I'm David Holland, and not long ago, I discovered a treasure trove of fresh inspiration in the Bible's Christmas narrative and the Old Testament prophecies that foresaw the birth of the Savior. And I recently poured all of it into a 31-day devotional called Christmas Grace. 31 Meditations and Declarations on the Greatest Gift Ever Given. No doubt you're intimately acquainted with the details of the Christmas narrative. But in this eye-opening new devotional, you'll discover meaning, wisdom, truth, and hope in these events that most believers have never seen. Get ready to discover overlooked insights from the Christmas narrative that help you rest in God's faithfulness, overcome adversity, embrace God's good promises, and most of all, fall deeper in love with Jesus. Christmas Grace is a 31-day journey into unwrapping the greatest gift ever given, Jesus, the one who is full of wonders. As you travel through these 31 encounters, through the holidays and right up into the new year, you'll find your appreciation for Jesus and all he came to accomplish for you growing day after day. Well, it's time to unwrap the greatest gift ever given, Christmas Grace, in a beautiful, durable faux leather cover, is available through your favorite online bookseller right now. Order your copy, and one for a loved one, today. Now, jump over one chapter to Ephesians chapter 2. Clearly, Paul is suggesting that being in Him, what God did in Him, and the fact that we are in Him, is significant. Uh, in Ephesians 2.6, let's back up and take a running start at it. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace, in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So there's a couple of real mind blowers there. Uh, first of all, we've been made alive together with Christ. In other words, we're participants in His, in his resurrection. Uh, his resurrection life uh, is part of what we're participating in. So we've been made alive together with Him. And in the, in the being raised up with Him, we've been seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. Our in Christness is why, because he's seated in heavenly places. And if you're in 
someone who has been seated in heavenly places, where are you? You're seated in heavenly places. Uh, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. I just want you to see this in the Passion Translation. Verse 5, even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. Does he, because he's not saying with Jesus, and with sometimes that confuses me. Because I know growing up, you know, Christ is not Jesus' last name now, but right. But it's interesting how he uses the word Christ. Mm-hmm. I just, it, sometimes it confuses me because yeah. we're teaching about the anointed one or whatever. Yeah, Paul, part of Paul's revelation is that, and he, he uses Christos, Christ, frequently. You know, the, the reason Christos became associated with the Messiah is because when they translated the Old Testament uh, uh, scriptures into Greek, uh, they had to find a Greek word with which to translate uh, Hamashiach, the Messiah. And uh, they used Christos, which means the anointed one, which that's what the Hamashiach was, the Messiah was the anointed one. So uh, in the Old Testament passages that mention uh, for example, uh, an example would be uh, Psalm chapter 2. Why do the heathens rage? Why are the nations in uproar? Why do they rage against the Lord and against his anointed? Is what our Hebrew translated Old Testament say. But what it would, it was against the Lord and against his Mashiach, uh, his Messiah. So when the Septuagint went to translate that, they said, who, why, do they, why are they raging and devising a vain thing against the Lord and against his Christos? So for, for the, the first century readers uh, who were much more familiar with the Greek version of the Old Testament than they were with the Hebrew, culturally throughout most of the Jewish world, that Christos was a very familiar term associated with the, and the, the, the Messiah that was, that was um, predicted and anticipated. So Paul, throughout his letters, frequently talks about Jesus and Jesus Christ, which would, it would also be accurate to say Jesus the Christ. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus the Christos. Um, because Ha in Hebrew is the Ha Mashiach, is the Messiah. Yeah. So the Christ matches Ha Mashiach. Exactly, exactly. So basically, you know, Jesus was his name, and the Christ is his title. It's his, it's his, um, it's his role. It's a royal title. Exactly. Which is relevant for this verse. Abs- absolutely, because he's being seated. He's seated on, on a throne. There, there's also, uh, so the, the translator of the, um, the Passion here brings out something that also comes out in a number of the other verses. It also comes out in what Jesus was saying was about to happen. With this one, with this us and him, he and us thing, uh, as one with Christ, there's there's this aspect of this mystery of this cosmic m- mysterious thing that takes place where we're concerned is that we become essentially one, uh, and that's one of the things that Jesus prayed. Uh, and there's uh, the implications of that are. Are significant. So, 
We could look at some other passages of, of Scripture, but clearly, for the new covenant born-again believer, we are in him and he is in us. As a matter of fact, there's another passage that says we, uh, we are clothed uh, we are clothed in Him. Uh, as a matter of fact, let's take take a look at it. It's worth looking at. Galatians three. Basically, I've thrown a lot of scripture at you, and I, I, then I just want us to talk about it a little bit. I want us to process it. Galatians three, Galatians three. Twenty-six. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, having clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs, according to promise. So, what are the practical implications of what we've just seen? If you're, if, if you're in Christ and Christ is in you. What, what are the, the implications of that? This, this goes back to your teaching from last week, David, about the in Adam. We're technically in Adam before Jesus. So we're all a whole bunch of little Adams. Probably Jesus is fighting cold off. Usually. <laughs> right. Practically. All right. Well, yeah. you, know. you know, but being in the last Adam, it's the whole thing of first being fleshly, and then in the next one, it's being in the last Adam. We don't live the way we used to live. There's a oneness. We're known by the first Adam, now we're known by the second one. The other thing is, when God created the first couple, He didn't name them Adam and Eve. He named them Adam mm -hmm. because they were one. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's interesting, in the Hebrew, the word for man is ish, the word for woman is isha, and it actually adds the letter hey, which is grace, it's grace to man. But it's a oneness, they never were known, if all you knew was the first 56 verses of scripture, and I said what was the name of the first couple, you would tell me Adam, you wouldn't tell me Adam and Eve, because yeah. she, you know. Yep, yep, that's good. So, Think this through with me. Your prayer life, our prayer life, my prayer life. D does an awareness of this, would it impact how we pray? And in, 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 in what ways? Just this was the song, I'm desperate for you, or whatever. I hate that song. Hmm. Because I'm not desperate if I'm in you right. to see you. Right. I'm in you. Yeah, and, and your access. It, it, if, if you have wide open access, yeah, yeah, confidence. Um, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God, and we know that we've received the things that we've asked of Him. Yeah. And when when John says that in First John, he starts that starts that whole passage by saying, "This is how we put our hearts at rest before God." This is how we put our hearts at rest before God. Uh, but do most believers? Do most believers access God that way? Do I, you know, uh, regularly access God uh, as if it was true that as I'm, as I'm approaching the throne of God, I'm in Him and He's in me. That, the, that there's this, this mystical 
cosmic one miracle of oneness has taken place between Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and I, so that I'm approaching God's throne with Him and with Him and me, and I and Him. And as we as we saw, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's a game changer. That's a game changer where prayer is concerned. And so much of what I know we've all been looking at and studying over the last couple of years has been about that cultivating heart confidence. Because heart confidence before God is the kind of confidence that actually creates opportunities for kingdom advance. A, a people who don't understand who they are in in him and the fact that they are in him and he is in them don't ask confidently their hearts are not at rest before God uh, they they have their their arms of faith are alligator arms their little t-rex arms you know just trying to reach out there for for um, for things in the spirit to bring heaven to earth and they and there's no there's no confidence to lay hold of of what of what God's already made available, of what God has already, what God has already provided, and that's what makes this graduating from the primary Sunday school Jesus is in your heart. That there's this little compartment in your heart with little Jesus in it. Graduating from that to a renewed mind uh, and. A, the eyes of our heart understanding having been open to the reality of the, what are the greatness of the riches toward us who believe because we are in him and he is in us is is that that is the that's the game changer that's the that's it's huge it's everything but okay, what are the implications then as we're we're dealing with other fellow humans? How does that work itself out? You bring God on the scene when you show up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's not a braggadocious um Yeah, it's not a boast. We're, I mean it's just truth and if you understand it really I had a pretty decent revelation when you were talking about the last Adam because I realized I was made you know and I don't know you read this I was made righteous through that mm -hmm. I you know I, I have you're that. you're back in the garden I'm, yeah I'm, I'm back in the garden I am I am the last Adam too because mm -hmm. right. I'm a new it's a new race of people right that I'm a part of so so much of our relational dysfunction is born of insecurity. The girls have, uh, grew up hearing me say on more than one occasion, and so have um, the good folks on Twitter have heard me say, assume, if you assume everyone you meet is fragile and insecure, and that they assume you're not, you will be right 99% of the time. Let me say that again. If you assume everyone you meet is fragile and insecure, and that they're assuming you're not, you'll be right 99% of the time. But, uh, and, and that sense of insecurity, some would call it the orphan spirit, 
that sense of that sense of insecurity is the root of of striving. It's the root of competition. It's the root of 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 um, grasping. It's the root of a sense of, of lack. That if that significant that significance is scarce. That approval is scarce. That that acceptance honor is scarce and that that orphan locked out of the garden sense of of scarcity that belief in in scarcity causes us to to be touchy and edgy and offendable and uh and then and then you look at how jesus lived his life you know every every room he walked into he was he was by far the, the most remarkable person in the room, yet he felt perfectly free. He wasn't walking in wondering what everybody was going to think about him. He was walking in seeing their needs. He was walking in seeing their brokenness. Why? Because he, all, all of that sense of striving insecurity was gone. And so th there's, there's something about getting this down into our bones spiritually frees us to serve one another it frees us to to not to not to, to rejoice when 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 others are promoted and blessed and 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 increased and honored because we're not that that in orphan adam locked out of the garden insecurity is is gone that that sense of scarcity is is gone it's impossible to to fully walk, walk in an understanding that you that you and christ have been fused together uh enfolded into one another and and live with in that kind of insecurity scarce orphany orphany way uh which is why it makes it so important i think that we we be diligent to be renewing our mind uh, to, to these truths. David, another part of that that, uh, you know, several of the passages we read, Paul has very, you know, some Paul's clearly addressing a corporate reality. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, your original question, what does this mean? So with other believers, you know, all of the commands about how we're supposed to treat each other are based on this. Right. 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 Since you are co-inheritors uh -huh. of this privileged place in God's agenda, then here's how you treat each other. Right. You know, so it affirms everything you were saying. You know, we get with other believers of any stripe whether they think they have anything in common with us or not, we have an investment in their having their inheritance, just like we have ours. Absolutely. You know, and so competition is gone, needing to prove ourselves is gone, comparing our giftedness is gone. Exactly. Com comparison. That was that's a huge one. Well, I think I've given you all the good news you can handle for one session. The only thing left to do is page three. So, have you connected with me on social media yet? What 
in the name of all that's good and wholesome are you waiting for? You'll find links to all my brilliant social media manifestations on my About page at davidaholland.com. That's davidaholland.com. That's it for this session. Until next time, stay at rest and at peace, and please remember, God is better than you think, and you're more loved than you know.